0: It's gross blunder to theorize before one has data. At data chart, we analyze.
1: Our politicians are indulgent
0: when it comes to dealing with crime. We interrogate.
2: We need to increase the strength of the police. But well, right now, there are about 370,000 according to them. And uh, how do they
0: cover Nigeria? We interpret
2: And the trafficking in persons law has said that you cannot use any child that is below 12 in any home as a domestic help.
0: We help decision makers and you understand the numbers. 78% of citizens agree or strongly agree that the news media should constantly investigate and report on government mistakes. Join the Data Chart conversation every Friday, 5 pm to 6 pm on Ray Power FM 100.5 Abuja. For inquiries and advert placement, call 0906 420 5487. Data Charts, powered by NOI Polls Limited.
3: Welcome to Data Charts. I am Basi Patricia Atim, Communications Officer for NOIPOS Limited. On the 8th of August 2023, NOIPOS convened various stakeholders within the health sector here in Abuja for a symposium called NOIPOS Converge. Here's what it was all about
0: Nigeria grapples with the devastating effect of malaria accounting for over 30% of global malaria death. There is therefore an urgent need to explore malaria vaccine as an alternative. NOI polls converge will dissect critical concerns about the malaria vaccine. The theme, malaria vaccine, accelerating development, strengthening efforts. Date, August 8, 2023, 9 a.m., the venue, conference center, Plots 1107, Kabiru Rabiu Road, Mabushi, Abuja. Keynote speaker, Professor Olusegun Ademowo, College of Medicine, University of Ibadan. Facilitators, Professor Mujishola Adeyeye, DG NAFDAC. Dr. Olushola Oresoya, Malaria Consortium. Dr. Jennifer Anganti, Society for Family Health. And Dr. Shakarao Emmanuel, National Malaria Elimination Program. The host is Dr. Chikemwangu. CEO NOI polls. To register, visit our website on www.noi-polls.com or call 0903-114-9816. NOI polls converge. Cotton-edge conversation.
3: The NOI polls converge was the first of its kind. I mean, it plans to make the conference, the NRIPO's Converge conference, an annual event. So be sure to mark your calendars. NREPOLS Converge is about um, cutting-edge conversations. So its maiden edition was held this 2023, and we focused or it focused on accelerating development and strengthening efforts towards vaccine against malaria. Four authorities in the health sector featured in a panel discussion to unpack efforts challenges around a malaria vaccine. Some of the questions asked include how Nigeria as a country intends to forecast issues around the malaria vaccine when developed. Um, what is the level of awareness of health workers on the malaria vaccine? Concerns were also on the number of vaccines available to be rolled out. The question there was if there were enough vaccines to meet the country's population. On the NRPO's Converge panel was Khadija Ade Aboladeh representing the Director General of the National Agency for Food and Drug Administration Control NAVDAC. There was also Dr. Jennifer Anyati, the Deputy Managing Director, Strategy and Technical from the Society for Family Health. Also we had Dr. Shakarao Emanuel, who is the Assistant Director and the Focal Person for Nutrition and Malaria Vaccine at the National Malaria Elimination Programme, NMEP, and Dr. Olushola Orestonia. She is the Senior Country and Technical Coordinator at the Malaria Consortium. Moderating the panel was Chukudebe Nwanze who began asking Dr. Shakarao of NMEP, that's the National Malaria Elimination Programme, about how a vaccine can change the game against the malaria. So, uh, for example,
1: um, any diagnosis sleeping organic, insecticide-treated nets, um, keeping a clean environment. So my question then becomes, um, how revolutionary then is the malaria vaccine? Um, wh- why is it? Why is there so much talk about it? How much of a game changer um, would it be? Uh, yes, uh, the
2: malaria vaccine as uh, recommended by the, the World Health Organization, of the World Health Organization, Uh, It emphasized the fact that malaria vaccine is a complementary tool uh, to other interventions. Uh, It will not be a a kind of standalone intervention uh, as we have maybe for some other childhood uh, illnesses. Um, So yes, I know there is a lot of hype, there is a lot of anticipation, there is a lot of uh, uh, around the malaria vaccine, but so, however, it is important to put it out there, that uh, it, it is just a complementary tool. And even when the keynote speaker was speaking, we would realise emphasise the efficacy of the, the vaccine, in that it is not uh, 100%. As a matter of fact, there are other interventions, uh, preventive interventions that even tend to have a higher uh, preventive uh, efficacy than the malaria vaccine. So yes, we are happy and uh, the malaria vaccines globally is uh, a welcome development, for however, it has to go uh, complementary uh, with other intervention. And just like we have other vaccines, we don't uh, see the possibility of having hesitancy and it will even improve uptake of other uh, vaccine or GPI uh, programmes you uh, know as it were. So yes of course the child will have its own
4: with African participants. Because like we saw in the implementation, the trials were conducted in Mali, in uh, Kinapaso, in Tanzania, Kenya. I mean, these are
3: places where they also have high body malaria. So we are sure that trials are being
4: conducted on people that actually uh, have malaria and can display the clinical uh, manifestations of uh, malaria expect that you have more reliable data from that time of uh, The second thing is that the data also showed that the efficacy,
2: like has been said here, for the R21 vaccine was above the WHO benchmark for vaccine
4: efficacy. It had almost 80% uh, efficacy, and uh, it showed that the protection lasted for up to 12 months. So these are some of the key considerations uh, that we looked at. And then of course, malaria is a big problem, a big challenge for us. So having something that has given us enough credible uh, scientific data in, for us to take that decision is, I don't think we should have things about it. And being uh, the mature regulatory agency that is has the responsibility And takes that responsibility very seriously of safeguarding the health of the people. We have to take that
1: decision for the benefit of Nigerians. Thank you. So, following will be there was an announcement that 100,000 doses are expected. Is there any maybe updates on when that will be delivered to the country?
4: Okay. So the plan actually is to have. Um, a follow-up trial in Nigeria. Right now, the data we have are from those countries I mentioned. We are going to have our own follow-up trial, a phase four trial. You know, the protocol should be ready any time from now. Uh, I think the deadline is uh, for is middle of August. So those doses really are going to be used for that trial because we also need to validate the data. Nigeria has. All the clinical belts for malaria. So for us to do our own trial here, it gives more credence, you know, to the um, results that have been seen. You know, and then we are able to um, expose it to more people to have more varied um, responses for us to be able to see if there are any other maybe side effects or adverse reactions that uh, may be experienced. You know, so those are actually
1: going to be used for the um, trials that will be coming up in Nigeria. In, in, in terms of receipt of the doses, I don't think they've arrived yet because the protocol is yet to be Thank you. Um, so the next question, my next question, actually goes to uh, Dr. Olusola. Um, so looking at the results of this poll, um, awareness. Of the vaccine was low, however, willingness to take the vaccine was high. And you compare that with also polls, the poll that was conducted by poll on COVID vaccine. <coughs> Awareness of the availability of the COVID vaccine then in 2020, December 2020, when we said that poll was high, about one in two Nigerians said that they were aware of the vaccine against COVID. And willingness to take the COVID vaccine then was well, 61%. However, so so an interesting aspect of that was about four percent of Nigerians said that they welcome the existence of COVID vaccine in Nigeria, the use of COVID vaccine in Nigeria. That was 74% compared to 61% who were personally willing to take um, the vaccine. So I guess the question is, do you think awareness of the availability or the near availability of the Malaria vaccine will help with increased uptake by the populace. Thank you very much. Um, good
5: morning, everyone. Um, when we talk about uptake of an intervention, it's a behavioural thing, and most of the time, awareness does not necessarily lead to behaviour change. So there are many factors that come to play when it comes to um, somebody taking on a new behavior because taking on the malaria vaccine is a new, be- because it's a new vaccine, something that hasn't been deployed before. And so it will require much more than just being aware of it. Okay, so what the, the important thing and the good thing for malaria is that, like we've seen from the polls as well, that a lot of Nigerians, See and know the importance and the effect of malaria, and so there's a high level of awareness about the disease itself, and you know the effect of the disease, and so the perception of risk is a little bit high, and so you have the tendency for people to accept malaria um, interventions. Uh, I give an example of, you know, this is now malaria chemoprevention that. You know, something a drug that is able to children to prevent them from having malaria during the peak transmission season. When that intervention came on board, it looked as if we were worried because of the issues that we had with polio. You know, a lot of issues with polio acceptance and all that. But we found that in the same area where you have rejection of polio, when SMC was introduced in those areas, the uptake was very high because people perceived malaria as a disease that was affecting them and affecting their children. And so most of the time they will say, oh, we don't want this polio, give us something that will treat malaria. That is our problem. So the perception of this is high. And so the the advantage we have is now that we know that the perception of this is high, we now need to develop a very strong communication strategy to go along with it. People need to know whether the vaccine is available, where is it available, how much of it should be taken, who is it targeted at, and all that. Because at the moment, when you talk about awareness, awareness also has to do with what is it that people are aware of, what the content of the message that is going out, and how useful is that to you know, increasing the uptake and the coverage of the intervention that you are promoting. So for malaria, for this malaria vaccine, I think we have to be very strategic with the communication that is going to go with it so that people are, are, do not have misconceptions about it, you know, and that whatever message is going to go out is well planned, is um, developed based on a good knowledge of what are the barriers or what are the possible barriers to malaria vaccine uptake. Taking lessons from, you know, the other vaccines, other malaria control interventions, and you know, developing something that is strong that people can easily understand, and also not just to raise, and it's important not to raise awareness before you have the intervention available. Because if the vaccine is not available, and you are raising awareness, and people are rushing to the health facility, and you are saying, oh, it's not available, it's not available, again, you will kill their trust in us.
1: And that will affect uptake. Um, okay. So a we'll follow of to So that would be um so have stakeholders been meeting um, or planning on how to engage our uh, communities to, exu- to ensure acceptance and uptake of the vaccine. Have they been have stakeholders been meeting or planning towards that?
0: Yeah, so I, I have been part of there's a
5: national um, Malaria vaccine technical working group that um, is led by the National Primary Health Development Agency, as well as the National Malaria Elimination Program. And I know that you know when this um, the gathering call came out, that that team was set up to sort of strategically coordinate how we plan to roll out um, the vaccine in the country. And so a lot of thought has gone into the strategy of rolling it out, especially considering the limited amount that Gavi was going to give. So a a strategy was developed on, you know, how would this be um, distributed, who would be targeted first, you know, based on the framework of um, equity that um, Gavi put together. So to determine where we would put it, this, I mean, I think it was just about, um, 200,000, 250,000 children that it was going to reach, you know, and so there, there needed to be, you know, some thought as to what would be the criteria for selecting where this vaccine would be deployed. And once we have selected where they will be deployed, how would we actually do it in the real sense of it? How would we mobilize the community to raise awareness? What communication would go out? to let the people know that this is available, this is what it's going to do, and that, you know, how do you then also manage the fact that one state will receive and a nearby state will not receive? You know, because those are also risks that that affect, you know, eventual rollout of that. So all those communications were put together by the, the team that was working on it. But because we don't have the vaccine now, like I said earlier, there is no point raising awareness about something that is not yet available. So it will be important for us to ensure that they are on ground, they are available. But before we roll out, we put that plan together, package it very well, so that once we have the intervention, the communication
1: goes seamlessly along with it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, looking at vaccine distribution now and also um, our recent experience from COVID um, vaccine, we saw or noticed the um, distribution of the vaccine, the challenges that we faced. Um, there were a lot of uh, mechanisms put in place to try to make sure the vaccine got to the last mile. I mean, um, working hours for health workers were extended. Um, there was a proliferation too of uh, vaccination centers. So, uh, I guess the question then is what lessons in terms of distribution, this is Dr. Jennifer, now, what lessons in terms of distribution and delivery of the vaccine would we say were learned from uh, our experience with COVID, the COVID vaccine, and also how can those lessons be inculcated to improve uptake of the malaria vaccine? Thank you very much
6: Professor, and good morning everyone, all yourself. I think one thing we've learned from um, COVID specifically was, number one, you have to get all the stakeholders involved. So um, before you start any vaccine program, it's important to work with whether it's the government stakeholders, the donors who are likely to be supporting a lot of this um, effort, also to work with the National Primary Health Development Agency because it's important that as part of um, introducing vaccines into the country that we work with those who have already set up the sector. So in other words, the primary health development agency. No matter how you look at it, uh, primary health care is responsible for vaccination. And so you don't want to start adding new, developing new schemes or new, new ways of getting vaccines out when there's already fairly well set up systems to get these things out. So number one, first of all, so you work with primary health development agency. Introduce it to the routine schedule. Already, we have vaccination going on nationwide for polio, for ECG, um, for tuberculosis, for pertussis, for rotavirus, for pentavalent, all sorts of vaccines. So it's best to introduce it into the schedule through these various primary health care development agencies that exist all over the country, estimated to be over thirty thousand. And so, if we work through that system, we also work through the logistics system that has been set up. So that we don't start a whole new system working through and trying to develop new wheels in the new cuts in the wheel that will cause some challenge. I think the next thing we also have to do is awareness. So making sure people are aware that you can get this vaccine and where. So in other words, primary healthcare centers. And when I talk about primary healthcare centers, I'm talking about both public and private. Businesses. Often we tend to look at only um, the public sector where we can see from some of the data, I was actually quite interested in some of the data that was presented here, where more people actually go to a pharmacy or to a patent and proprietary medicine vendor for treatment of malaria, and going to the hospital, 40, 43, 43% compared to 40%. So you can see that there's actually a place where people get information, and so provide that information to where people go, which is both public or private sector. So I think that's really important that we don't focus only on the, the public sector when we're distributing these vaccines. I remember during COVID, people receive their vaccine in the pharmacy. You could go to the pharmacy, the uh, pharmacy um, council of Nigeria, they work to train pharmacists to be able to provide these vaccines there. So what's important is where the people go is where we should take the vaccine. I think the other thing that's important is the logistics system. All vaccines need a cold chain of some sort. And so ensuring that, the reason why we had a lot of expired vaccines is that, um, and actually the site of Family Health, we helped NPHCPA to distribute. For the ones who were asked to distribute to the states, they had just like a month left. So by the time they move from the state stores to the PHCs, they have maybe two weeks left. And of course, no government, like NAFTAF is going to distribute expired vaccines. So the setting of the right logistics system whether you're going to use the public sector logistics system or you're going to work with private sector third party um logisticians who can assist get the vaccine to the people in time so that we're able to work closely with the information is going out the vaccines are there they have a sufficient timeline to be able to provide it to people so that we don't end up having Expired vaccines. No donor, no government wants to have a situation where because the vaccines have expired, all the money that they've had has wasted. So we must work with various things. So I've talked about awareness. I've talked about logistics. I've talked about working in a sustainable system so we don't set up new systems. We do vaccinations all the time. So Let's ensure we work with the system that we have. And then one thing I'd also like to say whether it's public or private is the problem that we sure that where people go is where the vaccines are provided.
1: Thank you very much. Yes, you may, you may have Yes, thank you very
5: much. I just wanted to also add that I think one of the things that we learned from COVID was also the fact that it is possible to actually shorten the translation of research to use and implementation. Because when the vaccine was produced, the amount of time it took for WHO to accept it, adopt it, and for it to be deployed was very short, compared to, I mean, we've been on the malaria vaccine for <laughs> 16 years now. So, if, if it is possible to do it for COVID, I don't think it should be difficult to do it for the malaria vaccines. Now, we've, we've, we've seen RTSS Thankfully, has been approved. R21 is still out there. And although we know that the trials are still going on, but that period between which the results of the trials are available and for it to become recommended, it can also be shortened, like we saw um, during the COVID. Thank you very much for making that point. So uh,
1: just to note that this um, is supposed to be a discussion. There's not just limited to the question that is directed at you. If you wish to add on a um, comment, please go to do so. Um, so I would ask now that um, with regards to it, there, seems, there seems to be a lot of misinformation about vaccines out there, and I know Dr. Lushaba had hinted on this a bit um, in terms of communication that goes out. But what what's the basic strategy? What's the plan in dealing with or trying to arrest or control some of this misinformation um, that's associated with vaccines? Without will that sort of Thank you very much for
2: is still uh, waiting. Uh-
4: help us track and trace products from the source, either the imported source, the locally manufactured source, up to the last mile. So the case of the COVID vaccine was um, a very good opportunity for us to pilot uh, implementation of that strategy. So we used that uh, pharmaceutical facility strategy to develop the, the plan, and it was used in collaboration with M- MKHCDA and other stakeholders it was used to monitor um, the vaccines from the point of risk, um, inclusion of the uh, traceability codes, and then tracking it down the supply chain up until the uh, last month, and then reconciliation of the used vaccines. So with that deployment, we're able to follow the vaccines, and then from those points where they were used, we're also able to monitor for any adverse drug reactions and any other uh, obnoxious uh, uh, events, so uh, our pharmacovigilance and post-marketing surveillance departments were right on top of that. Um, we have uh, offices in the 36 states of the Federation and the city, and our staff were trained on that um, track and trace uh, strategy. So we were able to follow the vaccines right from the. Um, the Headquarters of the pharmacovigilance uh, unit is right here in Abuja. Uh, so they worked with MKHCPA right from the strategic cold store here where the vaccines are deployed to the states. Our state officers take over from there down to the local governments, to the primary health centers and all that. So we have um, several measures that we use to collect information about uh, adverse drug reactions and any of such uh, uh, data. We have the normal pharmacovigilance forms which is available both as hard copies and as um, electronic copies. We have the Med Safety app, which is a, a, a mobile app that you can use to report. And this applies to any other products, any drug products and all of that. But it was this, we were able to actually see the effectiveness of these our tools with the COVID-19 vaccine. And the, the success rate was very, very high. We were able to track uh, vaccines that probably because of um, logistics issues, uh, it breaks in the cold chain, and all of that. So it's helped us to gather reliable data on how this our traceability uh, strategy is working. So we used that during the COVID-19, uh, deployment of COVID-19 vaccines, and we had a very high success rate. Off the top of my head, I cannot give you the figures, but I know that during the presentation of that report, it was really amenable. Uh, so we have those systems in place. So when the malaria vaccine comes, you can be sure that we're on top of things, and of course, there is always um, improvement. We keep improving because the few gaps that we identified during the deployment of COVID-19 will definitely be addressed based on the lessons learned from those activities. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, so um, looking at
1: looking at the history of um, vaccines in Nigeria, uh, we've been quite dependent in more recent years on. On aid, on foreign aid. Um, it, was, it was interesting for me to even learn that we were producing vaccines locally in the nineteen as early as 1940. You know, but that has stopped. So I guess my question is: um, Is there a role um, for local players to produce vaccines locally um, in any even any part of that value chain? Is there a place for? I mean, we have well-trained pharmacists. Um, who are well advanced in their training, what role is there for local production of vaccines in Nigeria so that we're not dependent on foreign
4: aid? Okay, again, that is also one of the big lessons learned from the COVID 19 pandemic. We also saw how vulnerable we were. In, I mean, it revealed, I don't know what's word to use. It revealed our incapacitation, you know, because we were dependent on other governments. And they were more interested in protecting their people before you, before they think of you. They want to protect their own people. So we were there just not having access to this vaccine. So, like I said, it's a big lesson learned from the COVID-19 pandemic. And that has shown us that there is no way we can claim self-sufficiency or medicines or vaccine security without local production, and so that effect a lot of work has now started, both in country and regionally. Um, as a matter of fact, the Nigeria vaccine policy was approved in 2021. As a fallout of that, that is to give strategic direction, you know, to the country to know how we want to pursue this. And the main focus, the main force of that policy is sustainable local vaccine manufacturing. And there are so many components that go into that. The ecosystem is wide. The policy is one thing. We have other components. They're talking about research and development because you have to have innovations. If you want to uh, manufacture, you should be able to develop vaccines that meet your local need. So that's research components is there. We need to develop that. I'm happy that uh, a from NYPD is here and um, they, there are other uh, stakeholders in that uh, space, uh, Institute of Medical Research, um, the Chemical Research and Technology Institute in JOS. There's a vaccine consortium that was set up you know, to try to develop, to start working on developing vaccines for our local needs, which will feed into um, local production. Now, ever before COVID, the government had gone into a partnership with May and Baker Nigeria PLC to set up a public-private partnership known as Biovaccines Nigeria Limited. Like you said, we were into vaccines manufacturing before. That facility had been shut down since 1991. So currently, the only vaccine manufacturing activity going on in the country is for veterinary vaccines by um, National Veterinary Research Institute in BOM, state to state. So to resuscitate human vaccine manufacturing, the federal government went into PPP with May Mayambeka to set up Valvations Nigeria Limited. is supposed to be that special purpose vehicle that will help us start local manufacturing. Now, with um, the COVID pandemic, the WHO came up with different strategies to help member states, you know, to be able to um, be self-sufficient. They came up with the idea of the in South Africa, they are supposed to develop. Um, the, they have developed the COVID-19 vaccine using the mRNA technology, and that technology is supposed to be transferred to um, identify states. Fortunately, Nigeria is one of those. So BBNL is supposed to re- receive that transfer, uh, that technology, on behalf of the country. So BBNL is supposed to now take up that technology and start local manufacturing of. Boxes on the MRA platform. Now, the, the, we all know that COVID nineteen is waning, but then the knowledge and skills acquired from that uh, platform can actually be deployed to other, to taxes for other diseases of public health interest. So that is the thinking. Now, apart from that, there are also other private sector players that have indicated interest in local vaccine manufacturing. A lot of talks are going on on that. So um, talking about the ecosystem again, apart from R&D, apart from the production component, there's also the talent building component of it. For us to have sustainable manufacturing, we need to have the workforce. We need to have the skilled workforce because vaccine manufacturing um, ensures a lot of complex um, manufacturing processes complex production processes. You're talking about upstream manufacturing, that's manufacturing the antigen, that's the drug substance, and then the downstream, which is formulating it into a product and being able to have a formulation that will actually deliver, you know, the antigen the way you want it and all that. So, a lot of capacity building is also ongoing. And then you also need the regulatory framework. You need a leg- regulatory framework that will ensure that this products will be safe, will be of the right quality, and will be efficacious. So, fortunately for us, now that was pronounced to be a maturity level three regulatory agency by the WHO. Um, that was when prosper twenty twenty two mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. So we were pronounced maturity level three. So that is the minimum level of maturity of the regulatory agency for us to be able to properly, effectively um, regulate vaccines. So, for the country, that's a good one. We already have uh, a regulatory system that will support vaccine regulation. But we're not stopping at that. We continue to build capacity to move up again from level three to level four. And for that, we're also including the lot release function. The lot release function, because when we have locally manufactured vaccines, the regulator will be the one to release each batch of those vaccines manufactured by those companies. Each batch, each lot before it goes out, the regulator needs to look at it, do a proper review to ensure that it's safe, it's of the right quality, and it's be efficacious. So, a lot of capacity building is going on, and a lot of infrastructure are also being put in place. We have built a new laboratory for, our, for vaccines and biologics. It's currently being uh, equipped, you know, and so many other things are going on. Then, um, in terms of... Um, uh, Uh, it's highly capital-intensive. They need to have that assurance that when they manufacture these products will be taken up from them. So a lot of discussions are ongoing and a lot of efforts are interested in this. One thing I'd also like to say about
6: the whole point about access which you kind of aimed on was the private sector only gets involved in things where they are sure, number one, that they will definitely <laughs> make some funds. I mean, Nobody's going to go into a business um, and then you're not sure. So giving assurances of purchase, of the ability to buy, is probably something that has to be done. And the reason why this is important is there's a role that media and organizations like Anyone post can play in pushing people to push the government, so to advocate. So government, we want to ensure that this manila vaccine is coming out we have um, the population is about, let me just give some estimates, about 50 million children are under the age of five. And so we are going to definitely be able to pass across a certain amount of this. But the government has so many responsibilities, so many places to put its funding. But when it comes to Malaria, we see how important it is. And so, government, we continue that push as civil society, as NGOs, as, um, as communities as um, traditional rulers, religious leaders, to push the government to put the, put the money where we feel the problem is. We feel malaria is our problem. So therefore, government, we don't want money, wasting money on other things. We want you to address this particular issue. Um, support the private sector, provide tax incentives, provide um, um, tax relief, uh, provide um, assurances of purchasing of item of things that are bought, um, give tax relief on APIs, that's active pharmaceutical ingredients. So that when these things come in, people are sure, the investors are sure, because the reason why May Abuka probably left is that it was cheaper for government to buy from Serum Institute of India. So why would I buy in country? Or the problems with electricity or the problems with infrastructure, you know, so many things could cause it. So we must provide some assurances to the private sector that if you come in and support us because we can only love ourselves as much as we love ourselves, we saw that from COVID. And so, coming, we will assure you that we will patronise you. We will put effort into this, and it's the role of we as civil society, as mass media, as N O I polls, you know, um, Nigeria, or health advocacy organisations, to push the government in the direction that is for our benefits. And I think that's something that we need to take.
1: Thank you very much. Those were both uh, robust uh, responses. So, um, also a lesson from COVID. Uh, uh, In 2021, we had read that during the presidential tax force briefing, that 10 billion, for example, was released for domestic production. And we all know that uh, funding of vaccine research is a critical component. to actually achieving local vaccine um, production, however, um, later reports said that the funds were being, were being uh, repurposed, and I didn't see anything um, further after that. So I guess the question is um, not to necessarily put anybody on the spotlight, but maybe Dr. Shara would help with that. The question medical is: Are there? Are there? I read, for example, too that CBM provides funding um, for research agreements from Africa and other um, institutions for vaccine research. So are there other vehicles or platforms like that that help support um, support medical research, like provide funding to support medical research, or anybody? Anybody could answer this. Doesn't necessarily have to. <laughs> Uh, I don't have that in the best
2: <laughs> <laughs> Um, well I know generally, uh, they are, like you rightly mentioned, the, the, the CBN, uh, you know, does that. But, uh, and, uh, the emphasis on the research and innovations, uh, it's worth it, you know, something that, we are uh, it's really high here in order to, you know, continue to explore further ways of uh, deploying these interventions and uh, even increasing uh, the profit of the uh, interventions. So, uh, I know
4: NABDAC is teaching to us what I'm saying. Dr. Shikarau, I'm sure you know that NABDAC is not, it's not in charge of funding or <laughs> okay so but, uh, the little that um, that i can say which is also available to the public state is that during the pandemic um, there were some interventions for government or targeted towards um, increasing local manufacturing of pharmaceuticals generally and then there was also some funding for uh, vaccine research that is Part of what I mentioned earlier, the vaccine consortium that was set up—it has is made up of five, um, five universities and research institutes. You know, they were funded to go into research uh, into um, some vaccines or immediate public health importance. So, I guess what we should be looking at now is how those funding interventions will be sustained. You know, to support sustainable local vaccine manufacturing in the country. Yes, there were some interventions at that time, but I think we really, really need for government to sustain such interventions to ensure that we, we get some self-sufficient. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I just also wanted to add that um, I think there are
0: other sources of resources
5: that we have not yet explored that you know, as the malaria community, especially as we talk about a new vaccine that can be explored. One is the Education Trust Fund for research. The Education Trust Fund has a lot of money for research that is given out to tertiary institutions for them to do research. But you know, you find that a lot of research that is done in the academic world are very irrelevant when it comes to the real life settings. And so you have this gap between the academic world and the people that are actually doing program implementation. So if we can find a way to reach that that gap, for instance, you have a PhD student that will get some of this money to do a research, why can't you find a way to make sure that the topic that that PhD student is going to do a research on is relevant to NAFTA, or is relevant to family healthcare gets development agent. Like the questions they want to answer about, okay, how do we increase the coverage of malaria vaccine, for instance? That's a research question that somebody in the university can research, drawing resources from the education trust fund, because that money is not going to come to programs. It will only go to university. But there is a way that programs can benefit from that, by ensuring that the questions that are being answered in those researches are relevant to the programs
6: and the questions that they want to answer. Oh, I, one thing I'd like to say, the sort of offensive funds. I think that's what we were trying to also kind of pitch on. There was some money that was allocated, and then suddenly it was you know, diverted into something else. What something really important? Again, government has so many things that it has to try to address. It's got the hunger issue, it's got the water issue, it's got this life issue. And so of course, when funds aren't used, the government is shifting into something else. So I think what's important is, as we advocate, we advocate that these funds are real fenced for vaccines. So in other words, um, CBN has said that they have some money. COVID was important because the country was locked down. But this kind of knocks down 50 million children at risk of disease. At risk of severe malaria that could lead to death. These are some of the numbers we, that came out. So what's important is we, we, we are looking to the CVN and we, we infend some funds for vaccine preparedness in Nigeria and make sure that those funds are used. But if we just allow them to, after all, the, the money used for our Greek was we infant for our Greek. So why can't we invest money for Health for vaccine production, for um, let me add another pet peeve, family planning products in Nigeria. But we, we don't take health as importantly as our because we feel that there's no link or people don't take it seriously. Uh, unless people take their health seriously, and malaria is very serious, so things will continue like this, and funds will just be moving from place to place. I think it's really important that we, we, we continue to advocate to government that please invest health money. The health money is used to address health. So, we have a healthy population that can solve a lot of challenges. And, uh, inclusive or let, me, let
5: me start off on the um, um, financing. I think one thing that we need to do, and I know it's been done in the past, but particularly for malaria vaccines, I think the country will need to develop an investment case that can be sold to the private sector and to other sources of um, funding. Because if we don't have an investment case, people will not see why they need to put their money in there. So it's very important that even before the vaccine comes, we begin to pull together a case for investment, because we we we've seen what COVID did, we've seen the potentials that are on in the private sector. Within the private sector, resources were few. Resources were mobilized, people to address COVID. You know, on their own, and they managed the resources themselves. They deployed it. They, they made sure that it got to the people that needed to get. So I think the, those those lessons that we have learned from from COVID, we can channel them towards preparing for malaria vaccine, develop, develop an investment case for malaria vaccine and sell it to everyone that cares to listen, so that we can mobilise so internal. I know we can mobilise a lot of internal resources. We have resources in country that can be mobilised. We just need to plan and you know, be strategic in the way we can. The follow question was on access.
1: So, I, mean, that we should wrap up. I think the uh, next step now is to take questions from the audience
3: mm-hmm. as
1: well as our
3: online participants. If there are any questions, we welcome them now. Today on Data Chat, you have been listening to a panel discussion featured at the maiden edition of NOI polls Converge. The panel featured Khadija Ade Apolade who was representing the Director General of the National Agency for Food and Drug Administration Control, NAVDAC. There was also Dr. Jennifer Anyati, the Deputy Managing Director, Strategy and Technical, at the Society for Family Health. We also featured Dr. Shekarao Emanuel, the Assistant Director and the Focal Person for Nutrition and Malaria Vaccine at the National Malaria Elimination Program, NMEP and Dr. Olu Shola Oresonya. She is the Senior Country and Technical Coordinator at the Malaria Consortium. Moderating the panel was Chukudebe Wanze. That's the much we can take on Data Chat. See you same time, same station next week. Do have a wonderful weekend.